0: Welcome to Pete's Percussion Podcast. I'm your host, Pete Zambito, and we're here with episode 364, and part two of my conversation with University of Tennessee, Knoxville, percussion professor and founder of the North Festival, Andy Bliss. We'll get back to him shortly. But first, Marching Mizzou and a major performance. This weekend marked the first time in many, many years That Mizzou has played a regular season football game in St. Louis marketed as a home game against nearby University of Memphis. Mizzou's football team extended its unbeaten record to 4-0 and it ended up being a good night all around. We performed most of our Salute to Female Artists halftime show and really enjoyed seeing the University of Memphis marching band perform their jazz show prior to our performance. We also got to witness the amazing national anthem conducting and hair of Memphis marching band director, Albert Wynn, which we all enjoyed very much. And again, the students were wonderful to work with throughout. The other news of note is that I just gave my annual percussion recital. The concert is available on YouTube at the Mizzou School of Music homepage, which I'll post the link to in the show notes. I felt good about the performance I mean, I missed some notes I've never missed before, which makes it exactly like every other performance I've ever done. But I was pleased with not only the overall effect of the talking and performing, but also the way it was received. Lots of people were really pleased and enjoyed hearing me perform, and I look forward to the next opportunity. Now, unfortunately, due to illness, I was scheduled to perform my new marimba horn duet, But we will do that later in the future. Because of that, I was able to fit in quickly a performance of one of my earlier works, Bouncy, for Solo Marimba in its place. So that's there. Please check it out. And now, finally, on to some new music. I'm totally ready for that. And with that, let's get back to our conversation with Andy Bliss. Last week on Part 1, which I hope you've already heard, Andy talked about the UT Knoxville program his incorporation of group teaching lessons, the creation of the North Festival, and the nature of entrepreneurship for the 21st century musician. This week in part two, we'll get to hear about Andy's upbringing in the Quad Cities area, his love of baseball, his undergrad career at Northern Illinois, and grad career at the University of Kentucky, and we finish with our usual close to the show. So let's get to it. We recorded this interview over Zoom on August 10th, 2023 and it begins right now. All right,
1: Andy, well, let's back up. Where did you grow up? Yeah. So um, I grew up in the quad cities in Milan, Illinois, went to high school at Rock Island high school there in the quad cities on the Illinois side. It's like, uh, if you don't know where that is, it's like three hours directly West of Chicago. So on the opposite side of Illinois, on the Iowa border, at about the same north-south spot as Chicago. Um,
0: Remind me, wh- which what are the which cities are the Quad Cities?
1: Yeah, it's Rock Island, Illinois, and Moline, Illinois, and then Davenport, Iowa, and Bettendorf, Iowa. Okay. Um, but then outside of all of those, there's like little itty-bitty towns, you know, that are suburbs is almost too strong of a word, you know, but yeah. they're like there's development outside of those cities as you get around them. Yeah. And it's right on the Mississippi river, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a pretty great place to grow up. But my dad uh, worked for John Deere, which is a really big plant there. And my mom was a nurse. And so I started in music when I was like five on piano and then mm-hmm. stayed with that for like over 10 years. It was a big part of my childhood. Um, mm-hmm. Did like competitions and all those things. And then, how far did you get um, uh, I got pretty deep in the Suzuki, like I don't remember book five or six, and did some bro competitions and was playing different things.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but like but you
0: getting to a concerto level or not not yet i
1: don't I don't know. I think I was just starting to get up there, but not yeah. not quite that far and then my teacher was incredible, but she got sick and had to stop teaching and it was around that time that I was in high school and, uh, had started drumline. And so Mm -hmm. my life kind of crossfaded, uh, Ruby Gustafson was her name and she was so wonderful, but she ended up passing away. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, I really got like the drumline bug in junior high and got ready for that. And, Still remember the first day they did like back sticking with the freshmen when I was a freshman. I mean, it just truly blew my mind. You know, yeah. just I was. You so can into, play with that part. You know, hold thing, on. Part? Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so I did that thing, and um, I'd been going to drum and bugle corps shows my whole life with my parents. Like mm-hmm. they would come through the Quad Cities in yeah. the summer, and we would go.
0: Yeah. Well, aren't there there are various. Like either in the Quad or near Quad Cities or even like in Illinois and Iowa, right? What are the the major programs around there?
1: Yeah, like Phantom Regiment and the Cavaliers are closer to Chicago. The Colts are out of Dubuque. But back in the day, like the Geneseo Knights, you know, were around and some of these other Corps. And so... The Madison Scouts were up in Madison, Wisconsin, which was only three hours away. So a lot of those corps would be circulating. And that was back when they toured like in May, June, July, and August. You know, it was like a whole summer. The Velvet Knights would come through and do the funny shows, you know, and like um, the drum major would have like a folding chair and a Hawaiian shirt and sunglasses, you know, and like we thought that was awesome. And so my dad was really into it and we would go, so... As I got into high school, I got really serious about trying to get into the Madison Scouts. And I ended up marching two summers in their Division Two group at the time, uh, Capitol Sound. That was the summer after my senior year of high school and the summer after my freshman year of college. And then I made the Madison Scouts. So the summer after my sophomore and junior year of college, I did drum corps. What um, were you marching with the Madison Scouts. I no, know I, I was, meant what, what instrument? Yeah. So I was in uh, the front ensemble. Okay. So I was actually a really strong snare drummer, the center snare drummer, of my college drumline and played in high school, but I had a birth defect called gloved feet when I was born. Mm. And it doesn't allow me to really stand on my toes, like hardly at all. And so it, it got to the point where like I had made the snare line, but I just wasn't going to be able to handle the physical aspect and... But, you know, like anything, that was a silver lining because I spent the whole summer playing mallets um, in Capitol Sound for two summers. Yeah. And, you know, I mentioned earlier I was a computer science major, so I went to Northern Illinois. And I eventually had to audition for the program because I decided I wanted to do music. Had I not played four mallets in Capitol Sound for the two summers prior, like, I became a mallet player there. That's where I learned how to play mallets. And I owe those teachers so much. Like I I learned so much from those folks and, and just talk about like, a, you know, obviously just the amount of time that, you know, just eight hours a day for months, no, no days off to play video games, no in the pool, you know, you're just on tour. So, um, I really got strong and at mallet stuff, or at least competent to where. Then by my sophomore year at college, which was really my first year of music school, I got into the studio, and now I'm like on my feet. Like the snare drum stuff was together, and now I can play mallets, and I'm into four mallet rep, and like I'm kind of getting into the whole concert thing really seriously. And yeah, so yeah, that kind of landed me in college. But um, you know, my parents were always super supportive of music, and um, I tell this story often, like my dad would take me to like a Billy Joel concert and, you know, he'd say, scream out in the middle of the show, like not a bad day at the office, you know? And I've always remembered that. Like he was always, he passed away when I graduated college from cancer, but you know, I feel like he was always subconsciously like giving me permission to like chase the arts, you know? And, and, uh, my mom was the one who sat with me, and all those Suzuki piano lessons, my dad worked second shift and we lived outside of the city and my sister's five years younger than me. So she was always at different schools. Oh, wow. yeah. So it was hard work for my mom. Looking back, like I, she was a saint, like just getting both of us to all the things that we needed to be at after working from six to two thirty at the hospital while my dad was always at the plant, you know, she was totally on her own. Yeah. I mean, I'm super grateful now looking back that I had that support from my parents and drum corps dues back then were way, way cheaper than they are now, but they still, they would travel and visit me at shows. I mean, they were so into it, you know, and they had the banners and the stands and just the whole thing. So yeah, it was a big part of my life. And then, you know, that kind of got me to NIU and I had great teachers and made great friends there. And then as I said, that's where things like really kind of took off. So.
0: Yeah. When you are doing all the music activities in high school, middle school, were you involved in anything else? Were you doing any sports or student government or math or church related anything that was kind of filling out your time?
1: I've always been a huge baseball fan. Um, I played baseball as a kid, little league, senior league. Then I started umpiring. Oh um, yeah. And like doing, umpiring like in high school for little league games and it was such a such a sweet like mid 90s deal like i would go get 15 dollars cash for an hour 45 minute time limit game then i'd go into the concession stand and get a hot dog a soda and chips so i got dinner for free and then i got to go do another game and i'd walk out with like 30 bucks in cash and free dinner for the night and i mean that was way more money than I could make at High V at the grocery store where I worked. Yeah, And like, I got really good at umpiring. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I handled the parents and uh-huh. the coaches pretty well. I don't know yeah. where I got that, but like, um, you know, I, I was into it and I felt like I did a pretty good job and, yeah. um, you know, I would do behind the plate and I would do in the field and, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, it kind of fell off because I ended up, I don't really know why I ended up transferring from hy v to Best Buy, as I mentioned, and yeah, yeah. I got a job there and I worked in the computer department and, and then I moved into media and did like the CDs and all that kind of stuff. But, um, I worked there even as like seasonal help all the way through college. Mm-hmm. Like I, when I would come home, I would work at Best Buy yeah. and just try to make some extra money. So I started working when I was 14 at the, at the grocery store mm-hmm. uh, on like a, worker's permit or whatever. And yeah, this is bringing back some great memories. Just like thinking as a, as a dad, my son's 10 yeah. and I was just talking to my wife this morning about like he's in fifth grade and what that felt like for us and what, how, how the classes felt as a student and just all of that stuff. You know, I remember like mowing my grandma's lawn to make a little bit of money and yeah. um, but my dad had like a super, super strong work ethic and didn't come from like a lot. Uh, and, and I think it was like his mission to like instill that in us. And, and, you know, so I, like when I turned 14, I was working, you know, (laughs) so it was never negotiable. He was like pretty adamant about that, but Mm -hmm. I learned a lot. I, I actually learned to really enjoy working at the grocery store. I, I was in charge of the, um, I remember, well, first you started as a bagger Mm -hmm. where again, wearing like Navy slacks, a white dress shirt in the summer, getting carts, sweating to death. Like the collar of my shirt was like Brown, you know, so gross. Yeah. But, um, then I became a checker and then eventually I got to where I wouldn't even get called up to check and I could go back and run the dairy department. Okay. And so I like stocked all the milk and the yogurt and you know, I was just kind of back there, keeping that whole zone looking really sharp, and mm-hmm. and there was a, a actually a guy named Dave Sharp who was the the kind of manager of that, and he kind yeah. of became a little bit of a mentor. All all the managers, there was like four managers, I think, and they were like just really good people. You know, they they understood their employees were kids, and there was like as I think back on that job now, there it was definitely like a teaching component that was unspoken. Mm-hmm. But they they understood like they were the adults and these people that were working were all like 16. It was always like a really healthy work environment, you know. But the baseball thing was was a big deal. We we would drive over and go to Cubs games every month and I got into collectibles. I hit my dad and I did a ton of sports cards stuff mm-hmm. and autographs and um I still do a lot of that stuff now and like uh, going to trade shows. Yep, yep. And I mean, I, I put it away for a long time and then I've gotten way, way, way back into it. It's been like, you it's, know, it's, it's a massive,
0: in like it oh, it's yeah. ballooned <laughs> over the last decade. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, especially during COVID, but yeah. like, very, Gary Vaynerchuk mm-hmm. got into it and yeah. a lot of people listen, you know, and, and yeah, so, yeah, when I'm not like doing the work stuff, I'm usually pretty, pretty deep into, um, I have a pretty serious Lego hobby mm. and then the sports cards my sons into Pokémon cards and we yeah. we kind of do all those things together and mm-hmm. yeah we have a really good time. I think it's really important to have like life outside of work and yeah. When I was younger, I was scared to talk about those things because I was afraid people would think like I wasn't like committed to my job at UT or something, but yeah. Now I just don't care and yeah. <laughs> but I'm definitely committed to my job and my students. I think would you know back that up. Like we work really hard when we're there, but I also think like you know I've stopped putting so many concerts on the weekends because I I just think it's important. We'll do our shows on like Thursday nights because on the yeah. weekends, you know, especially the students in marching band, like they need time to do their laundry or be fr- hang out with their yeah. friends, have yeah. a hobby. Like we mm-hmm. preach that they. They should have life balance, but then like we flood their weekends and nights with activities. And so I've actually really tried to keep my class activities, including, I mean, obviously some concerts, you just don't have a say, but if I'm just dropping a repertoire concert on the calendar, usually I do it during the weekend because I don't want to fill their weekends and I'm sorry, during a weeknight, I don't want to fill their weekend. And I don't want to fill my weekend because I have like parent, you know, I got to be a dad, you know, and, and not, not be working six or seven days a week, you know? So right. it's been yeah. really helpful to learn that lesson.
0: Yeah. And it turns out that those, um, those Ryan Sandberg, uh, rookie cards aren't going to find themselves, you know,
1: exactly. Somebody has yeah. got to go through and upload these things to eBay, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: Actually. And I say that I'm like, I'm like, I don't even know what it would. I, I usually that that'll come later about the fandoms, but yeah, what's your, are you Cubs, White Sox?
1: Oh, definitely Cubs. Ryan okay. Sandberg was like my main. Oh, good. Uh, oh, good. I, I chose well. Then yeah, <laughs> He was my guy growing up, him and Griffey. And yeah. um, lately I've become, I mean, I grew up watching the Bulls too. And I've always mm-hmm. liked basketball, but lately basketball has been my number one sport. I've probably watched about 80% of the NBA playoffs at large this this year, at least mm-hmm. in part, like part of the game. Yeah. Yeah, and my son's into it. He shoots baskets in the driveway every day, so we kind of do that together. And we love Steph Curry, but also like Kentucky has graduated so many players that have gone to the NBA that I kind of just cheer for a lot of those players. Yeah. And so it's just been really cool to like. I don't necessarily have a team. I, I mean, we like the Warriors a lot, but um, then it becomes like about the matchup, you know? And yeah, yeah. You know, you can't not like Giannis in Milwaukee and he's so likable, but then certain players will be on another team. And then it's like, well, we like Jason Tatum on the Celtics, but you know, bam out of went to Kentucky and he's on the heat and they're playing each other. Yeah, we, yeah. I just enjoy watching, you know? And so yeah. we do some stuff with those cards too and go to shows and yeah. yeah, it's really fun. Go to trade nights and stuff. Teaches him about how to make deals and how to talk to people and how to yeah. watch your finances. And just last weekend, we went to a Pokemon thing. My wife was out of town and, He got way upside down on a deal. Like he spent 30 bucks and got hosed and, and he was bummed. And I was like, well, you know, this is how you learn. Like you have to make mistakes. And so we went to the next shop and he sold all the $30 he spent on cards for the guy gave him $5. He was, he was like, okay, can we just trade for a pack? And I thought that was smart of him. And then he opened the pack and he pulled two hits that were worth about 20. So he like, kind of like made some ground back. And so I was like, this is kind of how it works. You know, you just, you can't win them all. And right. Next time you'll, you won't make that mistake, you know? And so it's been fun.
0: Yeah. Well, and additionally you had, uh, you got to watch Jamal Murray.
1: Oh, he's my guy. Yeah. He's, he's my favorite Kentucky alum. Oh, nice. yeah. I, I think he's like really underrated and, um, you clutch. know, clutch. he's yeah. so good. And then he yeah. had that horrible injury and like right. everyone forgot about him. They called yes. him like bubble Murray. I was like, that was not yeah. the bubble. He played that way at Kentucky every day. And, right. and so I was buying some of his cards over the winter break because I mm-hmm. knew he was going to come back from the Achilles injury and they were going for dirt cheap. And, mm-hmm. um, it allowed me to put some stuff in my, Personal collection and also to have to trade and sell and stuff. And yeah, um, yeah we had a lot of fun. And I, I, I was totally pulling for him and Jokic. Jokic is also just underrated and doesn't get the credit he deserves. And well,
0: he so doesn't, was, he also
1: doesn't want it. That's I know. Yeah. On. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't help. I know. He's yeah. not exactly it's like,
0: what do you, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to go back home. I want home to go back and home. And home. Like- <laughs> like go swimming. Like that's all I want to do for the next three months. It's just
1: like a (laughs) family man that like shoots hoops on the side, you know? Yeah. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Hang out with my enormous brothers. Oh my Uh, gosh. (laughs) I know. But like, what a great role model, you know? And Jamal also seems like a really great guy. And he had a a special on like ESPN plus about coming back from the injury. I enjoyed watching and seems like Mm -hmm. a really smart, articulate person and, Um, yeah, big, big fan of his. So I was, I was totally pulling for them and had a lot of fun watching the NBA this year. It was like kind of anybody's league and, uh, yeah, it was cool. We had something I do with my, like I said, with Donovan, like we we have a lot of fun doing it. So, yeah.
0: When you get to Northern Illinois and you do get to do, like you start really getting into the fully into the music portion, Mm -hmm. um, What, what do you find are the things that you need that you get analyzed that like, okay, you need to like work on this or what are you getting exposed to that you hadn't had any exposure to yet?
1: Good question. All the concert stuff when I was in, like how to properly play timpani, how to properly play mallets, how to properly get a good sound on concert snare drum, just all those fundamental things that nobody gets in high school, you know, I mean... Um, so that, that was huge. My teachers were great. All the Cuban and Brazilian music. We did a lot of that frame drums. We did a lot of the African drumming, mm-hmm. like Robert Chapel did a ton of that stuff. He was always like arranging kind of like jazz fusion stuff mm-hmm. for the percussion ensemble. And that was really interesting and cool. I played in the steel band. I went to Trinidad. Mm-hmm. Like that was incredible. Never, ever like those are like things you start to kind of build your career on, you know, I'm a sophomore in college and I went to Trinidad and Tobago with the NIU steel band with Cliff and Al and Liam. Like I still, I still kind of lean on that. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, like that, I had that experience. So the fact that NIU provided that for us as students was amazing, you know, but by far the biggest thing was there were these three guys My friend, Pat Schlecker, who's kind of my best friend in college, undergrad, like we were the same age. Pat's the timpanist in the Cincinnati Symphony and has been there now for a long time. Mm -hmm. But um, he and I went through school together and we were really close. We still are very close. And um, there was a guy a year ahead of us named John and then a grad student named Steve. And we were they wanted to start a court, like a chamber group. Somehow I was, I got called to be kind of the fourth player, you know, like they were all a little bit further ahead of me. Um, Pat was my age, but he had started from the get go. And anyway, that we put together this group and we called it, we, we did, uh, John was a double major in design. And so he, he had a real eye for brand and he built us a website and, you know, Two thousand, like like we had like a really nice website back then, like that because he knew how to do it, you know. And um, so we went through a whole thing about what to call it, and it ended up being called the Base Four Percussion Quartet. And we rehearsed like three nights a week from like eight to ten, plus sometimes like four hours on a weekend, sometimes maybe even two days on the weekend. I mean, it was very serious and very self-driven and it was unwavering for like 3 years <laughs> like we didn't we never it never turned off like we never missed and i think about that now and go what like how how did that group of guys come together with that level of commitment where everybody's on board yeah and like that amount of rehearsal I mean, I think about everything my students juggle as undergrad students and like how hard that would be to meet that regularly. Yeah. I mean, the percussion ensemble at NIU is not especially rigorous. Like we did a lot of different styles, but we weren't doing like really, really hard sort of rep, you know? And so that probably left some space, which could be seen as like a criticism, but like it could also be seen as a credit to the professor's to like give the students space to breathe. So these types of things could happen, you know? So we did that first. It was like, I have a junior recital and Pat has a junior recital and Steve has a master's recital. And like, we all wanted to do a chamber piece to close our recital and Mm -hmm. we would each pick a piece and then we would all learn them. And it just became like base four would play on these recitals, but we, um, eventually had to where we had like two and a half shows of rep together, probably eight to 10 pieces. So the big thing for us was in 2003, we mm. submitted a tape to PASIC as for the international call for tapes yeah. as the Northern Illinois university percussion group. Huh. But, it, but it, you know, the professors got behind it uh, at the time. I didn't know anything about this. Yeah. And, uh, Steve led the charge cause he was a grad student and he had known more about it. And long story short, we ended up winning this thing for November of 2003. Okay. So Louisville. I'm, uh, yeah. Louisville. Yep. Yeah. You got it, man. That's it. Yeah, that was one of the first
0: ones. No, it wasn't the one of the first ones I went to, but it was, that was a memorable one. Cause it was a bizarre. Yep. I just, well, at least At least all the places I ate. It was, I I have a much better view of Louisville now, Now. but back then I did not. (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. And I haven't spent a lot of time there since then, but that was like my third basic Mm -hmm. maybe. But we we got in as base four and played an entire showcase concert of our own, just the four of us. And I'm like a senior undergrad. We programmed the whole thing. We learned the whole thing. We had like minimal coaching. And then John was doing all this design stuff and we played, Ogun Bodigree, that Christopher Rouse piece. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he synced it with like a video that he made. And like, we synced that to click, which again, like back then was like really technologically advanced, you know, yeah. um, or at least it felt that way. So we, we did our entire concert with video. And so I'm, I'm a senior, John was a fifth year senior, Steve was a second year master student, Pat was a senior. We were all about to go do grad auditions. So there's a well-known NIU alum by the name of Jim Campbell mm-hmm. who uh got asked to introduce us. So the first time I ever met Jim, which of course I was like very nervous about, sure, yeah. um was like 20 seconds before I had to step up on stage and go play the show in front of like all of PASIC. But that was crazy. I mean, I think back now and go how in the heck, you know, it's hard for me to imagine a master's student and three undergrads at any university in the U S putting a tape together with no assistance, essentially, and, and, and winning, you know, one of the three slots. I don't know that the competition is, was then what it is now in terms of how many people apply. I really don't know, but yeah. I fell in love with chamber music through that experience with those guys, you know, and, and there's still some of my closest friends. We zoom every month, you know, on Sunday night for like an hour, an hour or two, and just catch up about home ownership and, you know, like just yeah. whatever it is, right. Steve's putting in a pool Loving. or. Yeah, definitely plumbing. Oh, God, we talk about plumbing all the time, you know? Roofing. Just, yeah, it's just like, you know, just being dads. Yeah. Um, you know, one of them has a daughter in high school, and one of them just got their first dog, even after all these years. And so, like, we just talk about that kind of stuff, you know, not, um, not. I mean, some work stuff. Um yeah as I said, Pat's the timpanist in Cincinnati and I've got the university thing and Steve's a high school band director. And then John runs his own design firm, um, in Chicago. That's really well gone, really been very successful. So we're all like kind of doing our thing, you know, and then we talk through that stuff, which is fun.
0: Do you go right to Kentucky?
1: Yeah. So that next fall, we tried to figure out how to keep it together, you know, Mm -hmm. but it was hard. So I moved to Kentucky that summer. Um, in 2004 and then i start at uk um fall of 2004 um which was tricky i mentioned my dad had cancer and he moved me down there and then he passed away um like a labor day weekend of of 2004 which you know i'd been at uk for like two weeks yeah yeah and i was the drumline ta mm-hmm. Well, I was the assistant TA there. It was a strange thing where Jim tried to help me by making me like the second drumline TA because, um, Rob parks, uh, was the main TA at the time The uh, he was a doctoral student about to graduate. And so Jim said, like, if you'll do this thing, then like when Rob leaves the next year, you can, he kind of said then like that TA slot will be yours. So I had like partial funding my first year and then everything settled in after that. Mm-hmm. So I had to go home and, you know, we weren't really sure what was going to happen with my dad, but he ended up passing away quite quickly. And long story short, um, Jim was so great. Like, just do what you need to do. And it made sense after, you know, after I had been there for like a week to to go ahead and go back to school and keep going. But I thought I was going to have to like pause for a semester. So we got back to Lexington and Kentucky had won the call for tapes for PASIC that fall. So I got back, you know, now mid to late September. And like, we had a showcase concert at PASIC like six weeks later. <laughs> so nice. yeah, 2004, Um back playing another show with Kentucky. And that was like their third time, I think, that they had already won. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's a great, on, great ensemble, great program. Jim's one of a kind.
0: While you're there for master's and doctorate, how how are the programs, because NIU is a big program in, in its own way, and, and I oh, yeah. is a very large program. So what are the ways that those programs are similar or different in terms of setup, in terms of how they use grad students, any of that kind of
1: stuff? Yeah, quite a bit different, which was cool. I learned a lot from that. I mean, at, at NIU, there was two faculty and two master's TAs. At Kentucky, there was basically one faculty, but they had doctoral TAs, which is a big difference. A doctoral TA and a master's TA, in my mind, is quite a bit different. So we were really given, as doctoral students especially, uh, as I became that, like, you're like kind of second charge, you know. And the facilities at UK have always been like a challenge. Jim never let that be an excuse, you know. It was just like, well, we're just going to do with what we have here. and Let's go. So like almost out of necessity, like he gave us keys to his office. There was very few places to practice. There was like a room next door that had an inner room inside of it. Mm -hmm. And then upstairs there was like two marimba rooms and a drum set. And that was kind of it. Like, you know, you really had to kind of just make, figure it out. Like we would use the band room a lot at night after rehearsals were over. And yeah, a lot of the grad students would try to kind of figure it out at home and buy their own equipment. So I had a key to Jim's office. And so when I came in the building every day as the TA, I, or as a grad student, I would come in and there was this old gray vinyl chair right next to Jim's desk. And that was like my chair. <laughs> like there's no office, there's no desk but I did, I kind of had this chair that was sort of like, if somebody came in his office, that's kind of where they sat. So I would like hang my coat on the back of the chair and set my bag in this chair. Mm -hmm. It sounds so silly, but that was like, it gave me like a spot, you know? And so when I wasn't teaching or wasn't in class, that's kind of where I was, you know, I would just sit in this chair and a lot of times Jim would just be at his desk, like email, of course, always email. Mm -hmm. And I would be on my laptop, like working but so, so many days it was like, uh, he puts the percussion schedule up like a week or two at a time on paper. Mm-hmm. He just has this template that he like fills out for the five days and then he like posts it on the board. And so he would say like, I, how's the, how's the Dean piece going, you know, or how's the whatever going. And then like, we would, I think they're going to need to meet again next week. It was slow. Okay, cool. We'll do that Monday. And then what, a, and he had like a grid of where the class conflicts were in his notebook and like. So I basically sat in this chair for like four years and watched him do the job front yeah. row. Yeah. And I cannot speak highly enough about how that prepared me for the gig. Yeah. You know, most students don't have access to the office. They definitely wouldn't allow to be just like in there kind of indefinitely, mm-hmm. you know. But he was always really like chill and he didn't take the job too seriously. He'd been doing it for long enough that he really seemed like he always had it under control. Like we worked really hard to make things happen, but he wasn't ever like, he never felt overwhelmed. You know, he just seemed like he was in charge of it all. And he would ask us to do certain things and we would help, but, but there was always just this ability to sit and observe. I don't, it wasn't like that at NIU cause I wasn't a graduate student, you know? So that, that they were serving other students, but, um, the mentoring was so strong and I really try to do that with my students. Like when I'm available, I'll try to keep the door propped open or let them kind of just come in and hang out and we'll go, all right, where should we play this show or what piece should we play on this concert? You know, or like, we just kind of, I try to do the job with them so that they can see my thought process. Mm-hmm. You know, he'd get a snarky email from a faculty member and I'd like see how he would handle that, you know? And, you know, and I'd kind of hear the inside scoop, but he always kept it yeah. professional and, mm-hmm. and then he'd be like, all right, you want to get some lunch? You know, and then we'd, we'd go get food or, yeah. you know, there was a show or a rehearsal. We always had Tuesday, Thursday rehearsals at like five mm-hmm. or a concert at seven thirty. And like, he'd get done teaching at three. And like, instead of sitting there grinding for two hours, like he would just leave and we would go. It didn't make sense for him to drive all the way home so like we would go down the block to like the local restaurant and just get like a burger or like early dinner and just kind of honestly kill time together like we would just hang out and he'd do like a crossword and we'd talk and sudoku was hot then you know and <laughs> there was just so much like downtime like that where it was just being together with no agenda yeah so then when I did have questions I'm thinking about writing this article. Then like, I would just get like a free coaching because he would just walk me through it. So yeah, I was, I have so much I could share and so many stories about that time together, but so many nights at his house, hanging out with Nancy, his wife, like they're like family, you know, and just new year's Eve. Like there was no line, you know, there was no, it was always like, Grad students are always welcome, you know, and that's kind of where I learned how to act like a professional, like mm-hmm. how to bring a bottle of wine to a party, you know, like how to act at dinner and not talk about work all the time, you know, uh, yeah. um, ask the guest artist questions and like, mm-hmm. just, just basic, like human things that I, uh, I learned through observing, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, we had a really good time. It was a awesome, awesome period of my life for sure. Yeah.
0: Well, and I've heard, I've had a number of of UK folks uh, on the show over the years, and a couple things that they always say. One is that they've reiterated the kind of the, you were like another faculty member, like you would be on all decisions or juries or things like that, like you treated the, particularly the doctoral students, like very much like professionals. And then the other thing that I've heard over the years is that he was someone, he's always been a lifelong learner. So yeah. whenever there were, whenever there were guest artists, he would be like also in there, you know, getting better basically. Yep.
1: Right. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I definitely feel like I'm going through that. Like I'm, you know, 42, I've got two kids. I'm very busy very busy, meaning like my life is filled with commitments that are just ongoing at this point, there's really no more space to take on new things unless I stop something else. And so, um, but I love to learn. And so, yeah, these guest starters come in and I'm like asking questions, you know, and yeah, I I got that from Jim, you know, he, and uh, there was also no ego. So like if the grad students were really good at something, He would just put them front and center and go, all right, you're going to do this, or you're going to lead this, or you're going to bring the, you know, we're going to focus on this and you're going to teach it because the studio would benefit, you know, and um, it it was very much like doing the job without having the job. Like you could always fall back on him, but we were in charge of lessons. We assigned the grades, you know, all that stuff. And so it was, it was pretty awesome.
0: Andy, I finish out with random ask questions.
1: Yeah, great.
0: All right. First question, an issue in percussion education or percussion performance that most gets under your skin or drives you the most nuts.
1: I think we kind of touched on it. I'm passionate about balanced curriculum. I'm not necessarily an expert on like all things drum set though I've been doing a lot of drum set work in the last few years, I'm I, I'm having a blast. I feel like a kid again, mm-hmm. but you know, I think it's, it's a little strange to me that we can all go to our family reunion and like uncle Ned knows more about drum set players of the eighties and nineties than the students who got a major in percussion. That feels weird to me. Yeah, You know, it just speaks to like how one-sided our education has been. Like who's the drummer for rush? I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, that's that feels like a thing we should maybe be teaching in school you yeah. know <laughs> just like the lack of balance and and then these issues around barriers around everything we just talked about with like mentoring the the kind of gatekeeping that i see in our field that yeah. some of it is intentional and some of it's not just looking for opportunities for like creative output for our students as we talked a lot about around you know, just finding ways for them to thrive and be their whole selves. Like the students of mine who have I have so many students out there doing so many different things. And I feel like the reason they've been successful is because we've been able to like find the things that make them tick and merge those things with music as opposed to trying to force them to be the cookie cutter that somebody else is, that's really successful. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to name any names because those people are those people because they, that's who they are. You know, that's what they're about. That's, and, and that's no fault of theirs, but then like the, the copying and mirroring, I think is where we get into trouble. Um, So just, yeah, I just wish maybe we would see percussion a little bit more holistically in that way and then give the students as much opportunity to like carve that path as possible.
0: Yeah. Well, and, you know, it's interesting. I I kind of move usually to, and something we've already talked about, but the kind of the issues of inclusion, diversity, and equity that are related to that kind of structure and all the things you pull in, if you reframe the balance,
1: like you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Oh, I mandated years ago that all of my student recitals have, at least one woman, at least one person of color on all programs, it's not, I, I, it's uh, it's a requirement. Actually, it's the only requirement. <laughs> they can play whatever they want. I mean, I, I I try to steer them and suggest things, but that's really where you don't have to play all snare drum or all, you don't have to play one of every instrument. Like, I want you to do what you love, but that I'm not as flexible about. And yeah. it has freshened up the rep I've heard and the pieces I've heard, it's unbelievable how much like we've all gotten to learn and experience new pieces and stuff because of that one little change. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's been like truly transformational in the department. It's, it's, we've heard all kinds of incredible stuff because we've all had to work a little bit harder to bring these things forward as, and it's really important, but you know, we found some really fantastic pieces that then students have enjoyed playing. So it's been great. Awesome.
0: All right. Fun questions now. Has anyone ever nailed an impression of you? And if so, how'd they do
1: it? Oh, I don't know that I'm aware of one. <laughs> I'm sure they exist um, when I'm not around. But... um <laughs> I don't know if I can think of anything at the moment, but I'm I'm positive there are things I do at school that the students talk about when I'm not around. That is like a very much I definitely have pet peeves. Um yeah. I'm a very organized, very detail-oriented person. I'm not ashamed of that and I'm not unaware of it either. Yeah. Yeah. So like I tell the students that and just say, you know, we'll meet in the middle sometimes, but like as a starting point, this is how things are going to be. And then, you know, I also, when I can see things are going crazy, I try to back off and go, it's going to be fine. We'll reorganize this or pick it up at a better time when the student's not struggling so much, you know, or yeah, they need to go home and study, you know, or whatever. I don't know about an impression, but, yeah. but, but like, I, if there's
0: a, if there's like a mess, they're like, yeah,
1: they, they know. Better watch out, <laughs> Yeah. Dr. Bliss is going to lose his mind. So yeah. 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 Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Awesome. I, very mise en place about how I want the studio. You know, like <laughs> I want, especially when I mean we try to live that way. But yeah, you know when we have auditions or somebody's coming in, it's like this place needs to be tight. You know, because I yeah. just want to be able to sit and enjoy the residency, not like live in our own filth. You know, yeah, so yeah. yeah, gotcha. But I'm, I'm probably <laughs> probably over the top on some things.
0: Yeah, so. yeah. What is your biggest kitchen mess
1: up? That's a tough one. My wife and I have pretty delegated things in the house, and I don't make it into the kitchen very often. I see. But except um, to eat, I guess. Ex- yeah. Yeah. Maybe I try. Do you do clean
0: up do the yeah, I, I do up? the
1: cleanup, but Good. she's actually better at that than I am too. Because <laughs> I'm so picky, I will like scrub <laughs> everything and she's like, just put it in the dishwasher. And I, I'm yeah. truly amazed at her in so many ways. But like I'll go put the kids to bed, yeah. And she'll she's like, I'll just do the kitchen. And I come out like ten minutes later, and it was like a disaster. Yeah, yeah. Because she had like just cooked, and we had maybe like the dishwasher might have been full, so we weren't able to put stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. And she'll have like re- reconciled all of that, and I would still be like scrubbing the counter one, you know. But she <laughs> yeah. she, she just gets it in the dishwasher yeah. so fast, like. We have different philosophies. I believe the dishwasher is for sanitizing. She believes the dishwasher is for cleaning. And so, like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, she's unbelievable. We're so different. Um, she, Erin's a percussionist. She went to Kentucky and was the percussion TA. Mm. And she's moved into ethno and stuff, and she's on faculty yeah. at Kentucky now. But, um, you know, we kind of went through the, all of this together. You know, she's yeah. a percussionist by trade. and But, yeah, we, we are definitely an example of, like, opposites not just attracting but like um we we make each other better you know yeah. because we're really good at different things so yeah
0: that's awesome
1: so i'm going to dodge the question and use it as a couple of couplement by good way to do it <laughs> yeah. all right what
0: is a great movie and what is a terrible movie
1: oh man another tough one so i have very critical thoughts about music and repertoire and programming. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to movies, they serve one function for me, which is to check out. So I am uh, un, as uncritical about movies as I am about um, you know, music and art and the things yeah. I do professionally. I love movies. I watch them all the time. I don't know what this extraction one and two with Chris Hemsworth, it's like on Netflix... I just mm-hmm. like watched those the other night. Mm-hmm. I I think recently watched Crazy Rich Asians. I enjoyed that. Oh, yeah. My mm-hmm. my son has gotten me into Star Wars. So I've seen. I I did not grow up as a Star Wars fan. I'm like coming to it late, yeah. but I've gone back and I think I've seen every Star Wars license now except for the Bad Batch and a couple of late seasons of Clone Wars, the animated stuff. Yeah. Um but I've watched all the movies, Rebels, um all the Mandalorian stuff, all the Cassian Andor stuff.
0: Yeah.
1: Really really love that stuff. Yeah. Bad movies, there isn't really such a thing for me. However, uh we watched Guardians of the Galaxy 3 the other night. Uh-huh. And that pushed my limit from superhero action movie to like fantasy sci-fi stuff which is what i'm not i'm like not into that stuff it it got out of the mainstream enough that i was like eternals i really did not like Mm. and we also are huge disney fans and so with the new tron ride at disney world and uh, magic kingdom we tried to watch tron and i couldn't get through five minutes of it the original tron yeah oh wow I really hated it like a lot. (laughs) Like like I had a very visceral reaction. Like I, I got up and I mean, I will sit through anything. Like, I just don't care. (laughs) My wife, my wife like reads the critics before she commits to sitting down. Yeah. Yeah. She like really cares a lot about what other people think. Like, i'm I'm Adam Sandler all day long, you know, like, like give me some Billy Madison, and I'm good, you know, yeah. so it's just um, actually, I really enjoyed um his latest movie, Hustle, maybe not his latest movie, but you know, I'm a basketball fan, and he did this yeah. basketball movie called Hustle, and I've watched that twice now, and i I really enjoyed that movie, but I also like watching I've been watching like the concert tours on Netflix, like mm. um there's like behind the scenes tour footage of Justin Timberlake and the Tennessee kids. Yeah. I really admired him as an artist, just singing, dancing, like mm-hmm. all, all of it. I enjoyed that. Taylor Swift had one about like how she writes songs that I thought was kind of interesting and cool. Um, so I consume a lot of that stuff. Just, you know, again, like trying to take inspiration from everywhere. I read a lot of books and you well, know try to bring, next question. bring that into the my favorite book. <laughs> I kind of live strictly in the like self help productivity nonfiction zone. Gotcha. Uh, so many good ones. Deep Work um, is a, definitely a favorite of mine. I've um, read most of Pat Flynn and most of um, Malcolm Gladwell's books.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Pat Finn's Superfans is a book I really enjoyed. Mm. Um, Atomic Habits essentialism um, is a book that I really loved. It's like all about saying no um, and choosing your spots. I consume a ton of YouTube. I uh, love YouTube and I have like different channels. You can't like organize YouTube. So like I have different Gmail accounts dedicated to, like I said, the collectible stuff yeah, versus yeah. like my professional work stuff. And so I'll log into the different channels so that I get, different content um, mm-hmm. based on what I'm feeling. Like if I want to watch Lego stuff or yeah. sports card stuff or like drums and tech stuff, you know, mm-hmm. and they're all different. I filter them that way, which is kind of a nice little hack. So yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely read definitely. a lot. Audiobooks have been transformational mm. for me. I struggle with like retention when I read in person, like mm. uh, uh, um, analog books. Yeah. Uh so audiobooks uh, books. Have been. books. You mean books? Yeah, real books, real books. Yeah, just yeah. books. Yeah, no, yeah. no clarification needed. But uh audiobooks, like I'll devour. Like I mm. and I my retention is really high and I get through a lot and I get through them faster. And sometimes mm. I'll even bump them to like 1.2, 1.4, depending yeah. on the book. Um yeah, I listen to a lot of podcasts that way too. Sweet. Cool. Nice. yeah, big fan of all that stuff. Yeah.
0: Great. Where is somewhere that you have not traveled to that you still want to get to?
1: Oh, so many places. I've never been to Australia. I would love to go to Singapore or Japan. Just the like architecture and stuff is super interesting to me. There's a ton of places in Europe I haven't been. I've been to Paris, I've been to London, but I haven't been to like I've been to Sweden. I'd love to go to Brazil. Um I listen to a lot of Brazilian music uh in my free time. And so um I would love to go there. I feel like my ears are way ahead of like my skills on all that stuff. So yeah, any any opportunity to travel is always a cool, cool one for sure.
0: What is something it's good, this is gonna be weird because it's possible we've already talked about this, so, that so of that something might come up that's related to this, but what's something that if you were to meet someone and they say, Oh, I like this, whatever this is that you would immediately go, we're good.
1: Yeah. What's that for you? That actually tends to be the Lego stuff. Okay. Um, Surprisingly, there is a cult of Lego builders in the percussion community that I've found. Interesting. Um, Okay. I'm the only, maybe one of the more outspoken ones about Uh that being a big, big part of my life. Yeah. But, um, people I've had conversations about Lego with that are passionate. Jim Campbell buys Lego sets every year at Christmas and puts them together. Doug Perkins. Mm. And I have talked about Lego before. He really enjoys uh, Lego stuff. Mike Burritt is, mm. uh, and I've talked about Lego and I think the biggest one is Keith Aleo. Oh, uh, no, no he's way. He's like bonkers about Lego. And so he's kind of bonkers about everything though. Yeah, that's that's fair. That's just Keith. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, He and I uh, have had some like very long text conversations over the years about like, you know, when he's got time and he's bought stuff and I just got the new Harry Potter train or whatever, you know, he's like sending me photos. And um, so, yeah, it's been like a thing we stumble on, you know, and then end up, I mean, it's like Lego's, like drums, you know, it's like universal, nobody doesn't like it. And um, so everybody can relate to Lego, you know, and so we end up kind of, it's like a fun thing to talk about when we're not talking about work, sports, you know, all yeah. the books. Yeah. Um, I, I I feel like I have a fairly balanced life outside of work with those yeah. types of things. And so I'm usually just as into all three of those areas as I am to the work stuff. And they, they kind of tie into each other in a lot of weird ways. Yeah. So it's been kind of cool. Yeah, definitely. All right. When you head back to
0: the quad cities area, if your family or any, or any reason to go back, Oh, this uh, one's gonna be is, easy. What's that? Uh, this one's going to be easy. Go ahead. Where is somewhere you have to eat before uh, you can even like yeah. talk to people?
1: Oh yeah. Pizza. No question. But is, Are there specific shops? Yep. There's a place called the pizza joint. Okay. And, um, in a lo- city in Milan, Illinois, okay. like really small. Mm-hmm. So the quad cities is actually known for its pizzas. Like quad city pizza is a thing. Mm-hmm. I didn't know this, but, um, so when my dad was in college with, you know, I don't know if my mom and he were engaged or whatever, but they got, he was in a band mm-hmm. and they would go play till, you know, one in the morning or whatever. And they they were driving home, and they were hungry, and everything was closed, and they went to the pizza joint in Milan and said, like, do you have any pizzas that weren't picked up? We'll just buy whatever you got, you know? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we have this one here, and it was a sausage and potato pizza. Okay. It, yeah. So <laughs> the potato is basically like crumbled tater tots Okay. on the pizza. Very yeah. small, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not like... We're not like lopping off a piece of a potato. You know what I mean? (laughs) So that was like before I was born and it has stayed in my family to this day. I guess maybe just through me, my mom and my sister live there and I don't think they go there when I'm not there. Sure. But like my mom knows not to show up in Knoxville without a refrigerated saran and aluminum foil wrapped large pizza from the pizza joint, she like bring, she buys them, puts them in the fridge, wraps them yeah. and then like puts them in a cooler and brings them down. Awesome. And then this other place the uh, happy Joe's has very different style of pizza. It's like kind of a, almost a sweet, uh, red sauce. Okay. And so I get like a half sausage, half pepperoni from there. And so when my mom comes to town, I'm like set, you know, and she, she brings the food, but when I'm home, like, she'll be like, what do you want for Christmas dinner? I'm like, you guys make whatever you want. I'm just going to go get a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> so nice. like, you don't have to stress. Cause I'm going to go get this. And by the time we leave, my whole family is like, we cannot have, there's also a really good Euro place that my wife likes a lot. So when we're yeah. there, uh, we get like a big thing of euros and make the euros. And yeah, there's a really good sub shop called hungry hobo. So there's like quite a few local joints. Like I kind of eat out the whole week because Mm -hmm. it's like my one time a year that I like get all that stuff. Yeah. A place called the made right. That does like crumbled beef sandwiches that I I don't go, but my um, uncles when they're home from where they live, that's like where they go. The made right. It's like a, almost like a drive-in style, you know, like the basket with the piece of paper in it and the fries, you know, and then the, mustard and ketchup and pickle on the Maid rights and stuff. And they, they go crazy about those. So
0: yeah,
1: nice. Yeah. Lots lots of places at home to eat. go. No.
0: Those are awesome. Yeah. Strangest, funniest, or most bizarre performance moment that involves you.
1: Final show in the Madison scouts season, 2002 age out show in camp Randall stadium. In Wisconsin. So, our home show was in Madison. Like, finals were in Madison, my age out here. Gotcha. And the final note of the show, I was on a concert bass drum and I was just like sc- literally screaming at the top of my lungs through the last like 20 seconds. It was just like full adrenaline. Yeah. You know, I mean, everything's so loud you can't hear that, you know, and I mean, right. it's just total adrenaline rush. But the, the concert bass drum mallet went like off the head and went flying over the pit and up onto the track on the last note. Whoa! Um, like it, wait wait so this is while you're hitting it or like right before like on or the after? final on the final note? I think I like loosened up and it like I was hitting the Blow drum my. very very hard and it like <laughs> exploded and went you know way over to the to the rest of. There's a, there's a video of me at the end of the Capital Sound season two, my final season, um, bawling my eyes off somewhere on the internet that has ah. made its way back to me. Like ah. at the end of the show, I was like sobbing, crying. Yeah. It's still out there somewhere on YouTube and i forget that it exists and then we'll be at like the holiday party at my house and like one of my students will have found it or something oh, like that but, yeah. yeah it's brought up but <laughs> definitely those probably sidebar mention would be like the various insane nightmares i've been having as recently as this week about like playing with the chicago symphony and not knowing what pieces I'm on and we're in the rehearsal and I didn't mark my music and I forgot my shoes backstage, but backstage is like 40 blocks away outside and like,
0: yeah. Alligators or something like that.
1: Yeah. Like just, and everybody else is totally ready to go. And I have to make my way back to the hall to get my pencil so I can come back to the dress room to like mark my parts. So I know where to enter and the gig starts in 30 minutes. And I took like a hoverboard through the, sewers finally to like, like, like the trauma is real, you know, <laughs> I did never, ever like I've had one of those a week all summer, you know, and I tell my wife, like maybe not quite that often, but quite often, like I'll wake up and go, why, like, why, like, why does this happen? Like I have a job, I have job security. Yeah, I like my work, you know, I'm not doing anything I don't want to be doing mm-hmm. performance wise, you know, like, yeah very picky about what I say yes to as a performer because of the amount of time and work it takes, you know? And yeah. Um, yeah. I still have these like nightmares, you know, it's like, and I know we all have them, but it's horrible. It's like, I don't, I don't think my brother-in-law has nightmares about like the engineering he's doing for like, you know, the mechanical work for the tractors that he does at his job, like yeah. not working, you know, maybe I should ask him, but. Yeah, it's like, I didn't ask for this.
0: (laughs) Awesome. All right, Andy, last question. One piece of art could be movies, music, theater, visual arts, poetry, YouTube, books, anything has impacted you the most recently?
1: That is such a great, great question. I'll go with a couple of things, I guess. One is when I was at in Darmstadt in 2014 that wasn't that recently I guess I was really inspired it changed the way I looked at percussion the way that they think about like when we think about found sounds we'll think about like something just adjacent to a musical instrument and what I noticed over there is like found sounds for them was like a whole new arena you know they're using like mechanical toothbrushes and stuff and and I was just really inspired by the like way I saw creators and composers weaving sound and light and technological mediums in general together to create hybrid art. There were so many installations. There were so many like shows with different media that was being processed, you know, and, Uh, it just like totally changed the way I see what's possible. Yeah. You know, they, they would have like a video recording of a player. And then that video was, uh, uh, that was uh, being projected in front of the player on a screen. And then like the video, the performer would be like fragmented in the middle of the program. So you'd see the player, but then the screen would project on top. And like, it was like, like really advanced stuff, you know, of like what, what, can be possible for like a a truly almost video game or movie like level immersive experience in a concert production. Yeah. Um, And that really redefined like what I can push for, you know, in, in the work that I do throughout my days and weeks, completely unrelated to that is I've been really inspired by, I guess the creator economy in general, you know, what I see some people doing. You know, anybody who knows me knows I'm a pretty big fan of Peter McKinnon on YouTube. Um, and like, you know, his his bag is cinematography, photo and video. That's like what he's known for. So I guess he has that advantage. But, you know, it, it, the videos that he puts out are, they're stories. You know, he tells stories through his medium. I'm just permanently inspired by like what's possible through entrepreneurship, that word has so much baggage around it, but it really is what we're talking about. Like if you're willing to kind of put things in your own control, what you can build, if you put your mind to it, I think sometimes our society can get a little bit obsessed with like content creators and people who are making videos online. But what I've learned in the last few years is just through my own trial and error and different platforms, like they're just people who happen to have like threaded together the technology and hit go on the other side, and yeah. So I guess I guess just like the future of these mediums is so inspiring to me in terms of like what's possible and how the digital can blend with with the analog in terms of our lived experiences. Like you and I have had this like awesome conversation this afternoon that not very long ago would have required you like emailing me cause you were coming through town and been like a long afternoon coffee. But like now like if we wanted to, we could do this every month. You know what I mean? And, and I just have been really, really moved by that. And I think to more directly answer your question, one of my favorite composers that I've listened to recently has definitely been Anna Thorvald's Dozier. Um, She came to Niefner years ago now, like 2013, but her orchestral music and her chamber music writing is like really fresh in my opinion. And I just think some of the stuff she's doing is really, really interesting. And she's somebody that I always enjoy listening to. I could name many, many other people, but she's definitely one that has kind of piqued my interest for a long time. Um, um, Especially the way she like treats the orchestra, which is, you know, she, I, I feel like she truly looks at it as like a group of ingredients, not as like a preset engine, you know? All right, Andy, we are done. Cool, man. And I'm not used to having this much of a one-sided conversation. So thank you for listening, you know? Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, I really appreciate the, the questions and, and, you know, just the, the invitation. It means a lot. So thanks a lot.
0: Oh, you're very welcome. Such a total pleasure getting to chat with Andy for these two episodes. I wish him the best of luck with his new newsletter, Momentum, which I am enjoying getting to read each week, and for his continued excellence in all endeavors. I look forward to meeting him in person, hopefully, very soon. Thanks again, Andy. This week's rave is the classic 1988 film Shag, starring Phoebe Cates, Bridget Fonda, Annabeth Gish, and Paige Hanna, written by Lanier Laney, Terry Sweeney, and Robin Swickard, and directed by Zelda Baron, streaming now on Amazon. This is a film that I got to see a couple of times growing up, and maybe once when I was starting to date my now wife, who's also a fan of this film, but just recently saw it again and I really enjoyed it, again. The story is set in the early 1960s in South Carolina, where the four actresses mentioned are friends of about college age or so, and they leave Spartanburg, South Carolina, and their various family situations of general privilege for a weekend in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, which will include shag dancing, as the title suggests. It ends up being a lovely coming-of-age tale and a pretty good film, I, though, should note that one item that makes sense for the time it is portraying, but really looks pretty bad in retrospect, and that's a scene that is included that shows Bridget Fonda's generally loosey-goosey attitude in place for her character as she practices for a beauty queen contest, doing some sort of weird striptease to the tune of Dixie while wearing a confederate flag bikini and a confederate flag. It's pretty tough to watch, I'll be honest. But otherwise, it's really good. Of particular note was the music involved. There's a scene I vividly remember for the first time I watched it, where the black r and band performing in the Shag Club does one of my favorite versions of the song, Stay, that I'd love to get a recording of somewhere. It's both a great version and a good scene in the movie, and it really introduces the audience to the character of Pudge, played by a very young Annabeth Gish, who longs to be both in a shag contest and to be loved and desired, but has always been the designated friend or unattractive person who's around very attractive traditional people in the form of Bridget Fonda and Phoebe Cates and their characters. This plot point in the movie culminates in Pudge performing in the dance contest with the boy she's met there and taught to dance during the film and is still a favorite dance scene in any movie I've ever watched. And that's done to the great shag dance tune, Staggerly. It's really cool. There's another background note about the film I recently found out about, where there was a desire, and, you know, for an admirable reason, as this was being made in the 80s, for the makeup of the four friends, which also included Paige Hanna, who plays the classic uptight character who loosens up during the film, to include a black member of the group, who was possibly going to be played by Whitney Houston, then one of the biggest stars in pop music before she starred in The Bodyguard. Wow, that is a fascinating what if. But one of the reasons that that decision was shot down was because, well, the likelihood of a black woman being in that kind of arrangement with white friends in South Carolina in the early 1960s would have been pretty low. And that is why that was left out. But a really fascinating work of art with great music and performances all around and a movie that just will put you in a good mood. Stream Shag very soon. And that's our show. Subscribe to the podcast and Apple podcasts and leave a comment and a rating. You can always find every episode and the show notes at the homepage at petezambinocom Pete's percussion podcast. The episodes, the show is also on SoundCloud at Spotify and many other podcast locations. If you're on Facebook, like the page Pete's Percussion Podcast. You can find me there on Instagram and Twitter at Pete Zambito or by email at Pete's Perk Pod at gmail.com. And I'll catch you next time. Until then.